Welcome back to the Corporate Pilot Guys podcast. I'm Rob and this is Tim. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing well. I'm just going to say I'm I'm entering the busy season with my schedule. It's very busy. And if anybody that listens to us on a regular basis probably is listening to you do that open and thinking, he sounds different. I'm I'm on the road, Tim. I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Um, a place that I'm very fond of. I I was born not too far from here and uh, been here a lot lately. Wow. And actually, I was in uh, your country last week. I had a trip. I went up to uh, Montreal. And that was a very short trip. It was a quick overnight. It was interesting. I wish I had more time to stay, but I enjoyed it while I was there. Yeah. um, When I heard that you were going there, I I flooded your your inbox with suggestions of where to eat. Did you actually find somewhere to go? We did. And get this. I know you're sitting down. We went to the hotel restaurant. Oh, yo. What? (laughs) But it was good. And I, I had a, uh, would you call it a Canadian delicacy? I would. Yeah, I had, I had poutine for the first time. And if you don't know what that is, it's French fries in a bowl with gravy on top and smothered in gravy with cheese curds. And it sounds disgusting, but oh my gosh, it is the best thing on the face of the planet. I had it as an appetizer and I absolutely loved it. I ate the whole bowl. And I felt guilty as sin for eating all that food that's not good for me, but I don't eat it very often, and it it was so good. It was the best thing ever. Well, I'm glad you got to try it. Um, poutine or poutine, depending on where you're from. Um, if you're in Montreal, you probably would call it poutine. She did uh, call it. The waitress did call it poutine. I thought it was poutine, but she called it poutine, and I thought yeah. I was saying it wrong. Yeah, I mean, so it's a... it's. It's definitely from the French region in Canada. Um, Montreal is, you know, if you want the best, I sent you a huge list of places to go to. Um, but you went to the hotel. Um, yeah. <laughs> you did. You did actually get to have some poutine. Um, the the thing is, is if no one's ever tried this before, there's very important ingredients and. The the most important thing is you have to have what they call squeaky cheese so that when you, if you remember when you're eating this delicacy of ours, if you, if you felt the cheese on your teeth, there's kind of like a squeaky noise that it makes. And that's very important that those cheese curds make that. I ate it so fast. I didn't, I didn't hear that or pay attention to it. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, really good fries that are that are you know uh kind of crispy and that mm-hmm. really amazing gravy is really really important and uh yeah it, definitely not a healthy meal but uh, very delicious for sure no it's definitely not something that that weight watchers or any of those places that will send you food from to your home they won't be doing that stuff anytime soon no <laughs> no but well that's cool um you know one of the things that we get to experience in in different countries is how our customs works so our customs and border services and canada um specifically where you are um or where you went to in montreal it's um 
you know, it's it can be apprehensive, and that's one of the things that we're going to talk about is uh, customs and border protection, whether it's either in the United States or in Canada or elsewhere around the world. What else are we going to talk about, Tim? We are going to talk about the ongoing pilot shortage. And inside of that discussion, I have some salary numbers that some of them are good starting salaries, and then some of those salaries progress into uh, monthly paychecks that equal a person's yearly income. And well, back we did an episode on this, Tim, and and uh, you know it was things have changed in that short amount of time. A lot of things have changed. I know uh, we, you and I, were just talking about um, a, one particular website. It happens to be called Pilot Career Center. It's just a large website. It's um, the Canadian pages themselves, there's multiple, multiple pages of jobs that are available in the aviation industry. Uh, this is just specifically pilot jobs, but there's many other jobs, uh, first officer, captain jobs, that kind of thing. But I know, as you've sent me a list, there's so much more available in the United States. There is, there's, there's jobs everywhere. Uh, there's a Facebook group, Corporate Aviation Job Listings, and they have jobs on there every day. It's to the point that there's so many, I get tired of looking at them. And I'm right. not actively looking, it's just they're there. And there yeah. are tons of them. Every time you turn around, there's another job. And I remember times 15, 20 years ago, you couldn't beg for a job. They just, they weren't there. And if they were, you had to have 5,000 hours of flight time to even have a chance at that job. Exactly. Yeah, we talked about that before, I remember. Uh, one of our main airlines in Canada, uh, pretty close to where I live, uh, WestJet, if you didn't have 5,000 hours on your resume, they weren't even going to look at you. Now things have changed, right? Yes, things have changed dramatically, and we can go ahead and jump into this. Yeah. For example, one airline I looked at, I looked at a bunch of them. So if I mix any of these up and people go look at numbers and say, that's not right, I looked at a lot of them. I took notes uh it's possible some of them get mixed up. But for example, Alaska Airlines, their hiring requirements are a minimum of 1,500 hours total time. So we talked about 5,000, but now 1,500 hours of total time, 500 hours of turbine time, and 500 hours in multi-engine airplanes. So you think wow. somebody that's a flight instructor for a year and a half or less in some cases could possibly with 1,500 hours, and if they've got that multi-engine time and the turbine time, which chances are as a flight instructor, honestly, they're probably not going to have that turbine time unless they did some commercial job flying a caravan or something like that. Right. But if somebody with that time, just say add a 1,000 to that, they get the 500 turbine and then they get 500 multi-engine. If they could get a job, say with Alaska Airlines, first officer pay for Alaska Airlines on their smallest size airplane is... Starting out $9,697 per month. Wow. So that would be starting pay. And this is according to kitdarby.com. And this was a survey that they did that was published last week on September 26th of 2023. Definitely, there's a lot of money there. So almost $10,000 a, a month. I mean, Alaska Airlines is a, a very big company. They have 115 destinations they fly around the world. Um, when I'm in Hawaii, I see them there all the time. It's mm -hmm. a 
pretty major location where they fly into. So, you know, at one point they weren't a very well paid company, but things radically changed a few years ago. And now it's a place that people really want to go. The airlines that are paying a decent amount of money, guess what? They don't have a problem getting pilots. Yeah. It seems like the, these companies or airlines will raise their pay and it creates a siphon. People want to go over there because they're paying money or not necessarily go over there, but newer people will go to that airline. And you notice one airline raises their pay. Well, a few months later, the next major airline, they raise their pay. Mm -hmm. And then the next one, because if you don't, you don't stay competitive, you're not going to get pilots. Yeah. And they're very hard to come by right now. Very much so. You know, Alaska Airlines has got, you know, a number of hubs. You can live in some pretty cool places. Literally, one of them is cool. Uh, Anchorage is one of them. Uh, Even in August. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's Los Angeles, so a little less cool. Um, be busy place. Uh, San Francisco and uh, Portland, Oregon, which is very close to where I am right now. Yeah, you see Alaska a lot on the West Coast. Yeah, for sure. What about Southwest? Do you hear much about them? Uh, I have some numbers on them. Yeah, Southwest on the same the same chart. Uh, first officer on the smallest airplane, which for them seven thirty seven. I'm not exactly sure. I'm guessing all the they fly all seven thirty sevens, and they're all probably very similar in pay. But Southwest first year is seventy four hundred dollars per month, and once you are captain for 15 years, your average pay is, or your, your pay is going to be approximately $24,000 per month. Wow. So it really gets up there. The, the highest of all the airlines on this chart, American Airlines, they're captain on the largest airplane they have. Uh, and it just says Captain Max largest. It doesn't say how many years they've been there. Just, I'm going to say more than 15, probably just, We'll throw out a number, 20 years. Yep. That guy's an average of $35,200 per month. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Huge dollars. Yes. And that's average so, pay. That doesn't include retirement or anything like that. That's just straight out, straight up salary. So on that R word that you just mentioned, retirement, mm -hmm. that's a that's a big deal that's happening right now. A lot of a lot of pilots are retiring. And this is, so there's, there's so many different factors. I mean, there's the COVID situation that happened. There's a rebound that happened after COVID. Everybody wanted to fly um, and everybody wanted to fly. And then all, there was a lot of retirements that were happening to people chose to retire uh, during that COVID times. But now it's people still want to fly, but there's just not enough pilots to, to, to uh, pilot the aircraft. And it's just created this huge demand, uh, which is demanding more and more money. I, I know I just read that a major U.S. carrier just got another 30% pay increase. Um, that's, that's a big deal. And because of those increases that are happening in the United States, um, the Canadian pilots are, while they're, they're definitely wanting some, you know, some parity to what's going on in the United States, but that's a very big challenge. And there's actually a very recent, uh, we'll call it an actual strike, but more of a informational 
break, if you will, and happened at our main, one of our largest airports in Canada at Pearson International at, in Toronto. There was a, uh, our largest airline pilots union was out uh, giving a, a very professional but uh, very clear message that they need things to change uh, and, and if, if they want, uh, you know, the continued service that they're providing. Uh, so things are rapidly changing, certainly in Canada and, and in the U.S., you know, even as a Canadian, I, I, I could choose to go down and work in the United States. It's not, it's not an easy thing, but um, I'd have to hire a lawyer and that kind of thing. But there's such amount of, of, uh, of, of difference between frequency. Yeah, it's 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 a big deal, Tim. And yeah, and that was a question I had for you. Mm -hmm. If Canadian carriers aren't paying their pilots enough, that the pilots are noticing, hey, the United States, these guys are getting paid a lot. We're not even close to staying competitive. Right. What's to prevent a Canadian airline pilot from saying, you know what, I'm going to go to the United States. They've got the time in the heavy airplanes because the airplane types are all similar. It'd be easier easy for them. They just go work for a U.S. carrier. Well, the, the, I guess the, the thing, the barrier right now is that there isn't um, a door open per se with, with waivers and that kind of thing for Canadian citizens. There are waivers that are active for, I believe, Australian citizens to come directly to the United States and work. So if a Canadian was sponsored by a U.S. company, that would be a different story, Tim, and that would make it much, much easier. I know... Mm -hmm. When you say sponsored uh, waivers, are you talking for visas? Exactly. A green card. Yes. Okay. So, for example, um, the simulator company that I'm about to go training with here uh, in the, we'll call it the simulator uh, in uh, Montreal in, in just a few days here, they lost a lot of people. They, and they had, they had some great instructors that worked there. And a number of them went to work in, um, in Texas, as a matter of fact. And that wasn't an easy thing for them. They, they had to go through the whole green card process, which, you know, that's, that's probably like a $60,000 hit. And mm -hmm. so you'd have to make it up with like, when I say hit, um, you're after having to hire a lawyer, an uh, immigration lawyer, you're going to have to prove a whole bunch of information. And, uh, but you know, if the grass is greener, truly on the other side, I mean, it would have to be some seriously, you know, good money to move down there and, and it would be, but a major, major change, um, that, that, you know, or I, I would just say a change, but just there's, there's a huge amount of a lot of red tape you have to go through to make it happen. Absolutely. But I will say, cause I know what company you're talking about. And I've been to that training facility in Texas. Yeah. It's very nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's beside the point. And we don't have Chick-fil-A in Canada. And there's a Chick-fil-A just down the street from that place that... <laughs> yeah, I think I've been to that one. A lot if I was there, for sure. Yeah. So, Tim, we've been talking about airlines a lot here. We've been talking about, you know, the the, the main ones in the United States, the main ones in the in, in Canada... What about the corporate side of things? I mean, we're, this is a corporate pilot guys podcast. When we're talking about corporate jobs, um, I can tell you a little bit about Canada. Well, what, 
what's the job market like in the U.S.? Like, if I want to get on a corporate jet, am I going to get hired? Probably. Okay. I say that because the general trend right now is that corporate jobs are out there, but there's not a lot of pilots going for them because the airlines are paying so much. Exactly. So, That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and there are guys that will want to go to a certain location or say they don't want to move, they don't want to have a commute to get to work, and they just don't want to fly the airlines. So there's those guys that will just jump at a corporate job. Right. But overall, the number of people moving to a new location for a job, I can't say that that number's super high. It could be, but I seriously doubt it. So one thing I, I did want to explain to people that maybe not know too much about the corporate aviation industry, I work for a company where I'm at a specific base. So I'm, I'm based at one location. My company does have multiple bases, but I work in one area. If you were to add a company, um, like one of the large fractional ones, like even the largest one in the United States, you don't have to live where you work. They're right. going to bring you to the plane. And every time I meet, uh, you know, these fractional ownership companies and, you know, they're absolutely massive companies, um, you know, you could, you could live in Seattle, for example. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're going to fly from Seattle on an airline. You're going to go meet the aircraft. You'll meet another pilot that you may, may have not have flown with before, kind of like the airlines. And, uh, you're going to start a, uh, like a three or five day pairing or whatever it happens to be. And then they're going to fly you home at the end. Is it, does yeah. that sound pretty familiar? Yeah, that's exactly what they do. But when you're on, you're on, you're flying your butt off. They're, they're making their money off of you. Right. When you're, when you're on, when you're actually when, flying. So I, just so the people understand what we're talking about there, you could be doing when, when, and so just so we're clear is a, a leg would be something like, you know, Van, Vancouver to Boeing field. Um, that would be one leg. And then another leg would be like from Boeing field to say Van Nuys, California. Mm -hmm. And that the next leg could be to Dallas or something like that. If you're working for one of those companies, you are probably going to be doing a minimum of three legs a day. Yeah, you're probably, probably three to five. You're probably going to be, yeah, I was going to say five. So your hair is going to be on fire. And yeah, when you have a 14 hour duty day, you're going to be used pretty much that whole 14 hour day. Yeah, you're going to be very, very busy. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of money to be made for sure. But this is something that, you know, Tim and I um, have mentioned from the very, very beginning. We're all about lifestyle. And, you know, you can, if you want to fly the, the fancy, you know, jet, that's great. But it does come with a cost. And that cost is you're going to be away a lot. And if you're going to work for one of those companies, you're going to be away the entire time. You're going to be very, very busy. And most of those will, it vary, the schedules vary. Some of them you can pick a 13-day schedule where you'll fly 13 days per month. Some are 18. The more you fly, the more you're going to make. Right. But for the most part, just say an average, every trip you're gone five to six days. And you're going to do yeah. that at least twice a month. 
maybe more, depending on what schedule you pick. So you will be gone. The upside is you know exactly when you're going to be gone because you bid your schedule similar to what the airlines do versus like what you and I do. I got my schedule today and it kind of bummed me out (laughs) when I saw it like, oh man. So there's times where I might do a bunch of out and backs. I might fly 10 days in a month. There's other times where I have uh, two six-day trips back-to-back with a few days in between where I'm not flying. Right. I might fly 18. I may fly 18 to 20 days a month. That's kind of rare. I might only do that one or two months out of the year, right. but it can't happen. You know, like you compare, I I typically fly about 300 350 hours maximum per year. Yeah, it's about exactly what I am, about 350. So if you're looking at our type of job and and you're thinking about, I want to get into corporate because I get so many people say, oh man, I want to do corporate. I want to fly the cool jets and all that stuff. I don't want to do airlines. Well, that's great, but you need to look at what your lifestyle is going to be like if you're a little bit younger, hey, maybe you, you don't mind doing that. But once you have a family, you want to be home for them. And you, yeah. you don't want to miss the birthday parties. You don't want to miss those things. And you I know what it's like to be home or, or to be flying before kids and after kids. Because I did this job before I had kids and I still do it with three kids. Right. And it changes dramatically. When my first kid was born, mm-hmm. prior to that point, I could go on a six, seven day trip. I could, I didn't care. It was fine. I was just, I was just gone. Right. But when you have a kid and you're gone on a seven day trip or multiple kids, that's tough. And it's hard. It gets harder as you get closer to the trip when you have to leave and then actually have to leave and tell your family bye for six or seven days. And then your spouse is home taking care of everything by herself and you miss your kids, but you're at work. And yeah. That's that's the hard part with corporate aviation. I mean, it can be like that with airlines too, where you're gone uh, five or six days. But yeah, that that's just the bad part in general of being a pilot. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, what we're trying to say is that the money is there, which is absolutely fantastic. And you know, it wasn't that long ago, like you know, probably five years ago, the money wasn't there the way right. we're seeing it right now. Yeah, it's yeah, changed so- dramatically. It's, it's changed. You now have a choice of where you can go. And we're just trying to say, make a wise decision, really research the company. Just don't go, gee, I yeah. want to fly. And I just want to get in a jet. Just please don't do that. But here's um, the crazy part. Yeah. If you do that and you don't like it. Guess what? There's another job out there. You can go try the next one and the next one. They're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> but that won't, that won't, it won't be like that forever. I, I, I do think the pilot shortage that we're seeing now, I think we're going to see it through a, a minimum of five to 10 more years. I did look this up also. Okay. Uh, Aviation International News and AP News, they both suggest their estimates are the pilot shortage that we're seeing now is going to go through the year 2032. Wow. So we're looking at, what, another nine years of this. And who knows what salaries are going to be. Are they going to stay the same? Uh, are they going to go higher? I mean, higher besides inflation rate. 
it's hard to tell. It just depends how many people are coming up through the ranks to learn to fly. And it, that's the other thing we've talked about in the past. Learning to fly now is very expensive to get your, from zero hours up to getting your CFI and multi-engine ratings. It's a, it's a hundred and hundred to $120,000 to get the ratings that you need just to get to the point of being a flight instructor. If you're getting a college degree with it, a four-year degree and the ratings at a part 141 school, like a, coll- a college that has an accredited program, mm-hmm. then you're looking at 180 to $200,000. Some are even, I've heard $300,000 to get the degree and the ratings altogether, which is absolutely insane. It is insane. One of the things I'll mention that, that's happening in Canada is, uh, is cadet programs. So there's two major companies. I won't mention who they are, but they are um, large airlines. One of them is uh, based in Western Canada. One is Eastern. They've teamed up with training organizations. And basically what you do is you pay them, I believe it's around 160000 And so you're going to have $160,000 debt and you're going to be making whatever an airline pilot makes. And so you're going to have that on your shoulders. That, that's going to be tough. And, um, but you've got a lot of hoops to go through. You're going to have to go through, um, psychological testing, aptitude testing, and then you're going to fit in a certain stream. And then once you've reached the, basically the ATPL frozen level, then you're going to be type rated on a 737 and then you're going to have a job. And that's basically how. It's going to work. So the cadet programs are coming back, Tim, but it's pay as you go now. Oh. Your the your, the cadet is paying the money. The airline's not paying anything. You're on the hook. Okay. So I guess that because the question I had before was this school airline owned, and what if you can't pay the money back? I think this way they're putting the putting that on the student you're paying for it you don't have to worry about paying it back you're just paying some financial institution back but or, that exactly the, the, they don't care where you're getting the money from they it's less risk for the airline oh yeah it's the the, the risk for the airline is highly reduced because they're putting you through this this very rigorous uh training program like i said aptitude um, you know, psychological, those kind of things, which are kind of normal, to be honest with you, with with airlines, um, some of them anyways. And that's how they kind of vet people initially. Um, I think now you could be totally insane and they'll still hire you. It's so bad. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but they are desperate. Yeah. Just like we talked about the flight times. It used to be 5,000 hours. Now you can get a job at 1,500. Yes. You, know, you, you used to have to have a college degree now you have to have a high school diploma. Yes. So well, the times have definitely changed. Absolutely. Um, all that we can, you know, both from both Tim and I, we wish you the best of luck if you're trying to get into aviation and becoming a corporate pilot. Um, you know, we want to hear from you. Maybe you've got some questions. Uh, maybe we can't answer them, but we've got a lot of people that uh, we can reach out to and try and get an answer for you. Um, I know a lot of airline pilots who are who are um, would love to hear from you as well. So if you have questions, we've talked about this before. Send us a message on SpeakPipe. Send us a good old fashioned email, 
or you can use that Discord link and get on with, um, well, there's quite a few people on there now, Tim. Um, yes. There, there's, uh, you're on there to this, your Discord channel. I'm in there. <laughs> there's, yeah. And there's a lot of activity. Um, definitely a lot of, uh, uh, flight simulation type folks on there, but not necessarily. We have pilots on there who are military uh, from all over the world. We have airline pilots on there. Are there corporate pilots? There is. There is some really amazing corporate pilots on there that um, their knowledge base actually blows me away. Um, and one of them has the YouTube channel and is uh, an an incredible resource and so if you want to know um you know as 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 close as you can to firsthand information go on to the discord channel um and uh and the link is is in the show notes and that's foxtrot alpha aviation's uh discord channel and both tim and i are on there so please uh please come on there we really we'll do what we can to help and the other people in there it's just pilots in general if you have a question Somebody will take the time to to help you get the answer that you're looking for. Yeah, and in some cases, Tim, like someone will ask about some obscure system on a jet, and someone will pipe up and be like, "Oh, this," and then they'll, oh yeah, and I'll know it. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's pretty. It's it's really a cool thing. Hey, Tim, um, I just clicked on a website that oh. I have to tell you, I'm extremely excited to talk about. Is this PG rated? It, it <laughs> is for sure. Okay, go ahead. I'm pretty excited about it though. Um, boom, supersonic. I'm looking oh. at, the, yeah, it's definitely PG, Tim. We're okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was shook. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, so if you haven't heard about the boom supersonic jet, then uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. So hopefully in a short amount of time, airlines like American Airlines, United, and Japan Airlines are going to be flying you supersonic to your desired location. Um, if you think Concorde was cool, this thing has got, I mean, Concorde was very, very, very yes. cool. Especially for its time. Definitely and amazing. Um, actually, it's a book uh, by, by one of the uh, Concorde pilots. Absolutely amazing story of uh, some of some of the kind of unfortunately tragic, but uh, just an amazing aircraft. But anyways, clicked on this site, boom, supersonic. This amazing airplane pops up. It's got four beautiful engines on it. It's going to be amazing. What I was going to say, Tim, is this this cool plane, uh, not only is it going to be an airliner, but it's going to be uh, a, have a military application. I don't think we really, really know what, what it's going to do or if it's going to be something kind of like Air Force One, but supersonic. Uh, there, I think there's going to be some pretty cool stuff coming out. And um, also, can you imagine this thing as a corporate jet? Oh, that'd be cool. Not in, not in the, not in my career. I'll never see that. No, I, um, maybe when I'm an old man talking to some young kid, oh, back when I flew these, you couldn't go supersonic. We had a wheel that went 80% of the speed of sound, not 200%. Well, at one point, 
and maybe our our listeners will remember this is uh it you know it was a little while back but it was a, a project with Gulfstream and a company called Sequoia and it was a supersonic business jet and it was this was uh, 30 years ago so this was called the Sequoia Gulfstream S21 and it was a very, very sexy looking jet, Tim, I have to tell you. So when and you're saying the name of it, is that the same as the, the is that a Russian airplane? It's like Russian. It, okay. Believe it or not, it was going to be a, 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 a Russian American supersonic business jet. And it was going to be called the S21. And if, if you want to Google it, it's amazing. It, it basically was going to be uh, 124 feet long, a uh, 32-foot wingspan. It was going to have um, three uh, turbofans on it. And I see. Uh, I Googled it. It looks yeah, kind of idiot. It, it looks hideous. It, oh, come on. Compared to, the, <clears throat> compared to the other one you were talking about, uh, <laughs> the boom one looks way better. It does. But, I mean, this thing was going to be mocked, too. I mean, it was, yeah. was going to be pretty cool. But I mean, it, they've been coming out with these for the last twenty years. They have even, even it seems like, like uh, Arion was was Arion one. Arion. They went out. They went out of business. They did or bankrupt, whatever you want to call it. But it seems like they keep coming up with these, and they never happened. Kind of like flying cars. We're gonna have flying cars by year, whatever. We never have flying cars. I don't want flying cars to be honest, but I do want these. I do too. I hope um, somebody can actually do it and make it work. But I think also people are very in tune with fuel efficiency now. And these things are not going to be fuel efficient going Mach 2. So I just, I think if they have them, they'll have a small number of them, kind of like the Concorde. They only had a, a handful of them. And I think this will be the same thing. But then if there's only a handful, the price to buy one is going to be so high because of all the research and development costs that it's going to be only the rich or super rich can afford to fly on these things. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of information about boom, boom, when they first started, they really, really wanted to make an environmentally, um, a, an aircraft that was going to be environmentally, uh, better than Concorde, which wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> no, no, it would not. Um, but, one thing I will share is that the the boom is called the Overture. Um, it is supposed to run on a 100% sustainable aviation fuel called SAF. SAF, yes. And so um, you've probably seen it before, Tim. Um, SAF is available yeah. right now. It is, and it's actually approved for our, the airplane I fly. It's approved now. You can yeah, get it. And I've seen it out in Los Angeles and some other places. It's about a dollar, well... In Los Angeles, when I looked it up, it's about $1 more per gallon. But from what I understand, doesn't change the efficiency. Nothing changes. It's just it's sustainable fuel versus regular uh, Jet A. Yes. So right now, Boom is kind of a dream. Um, they have a huge amount of technological uh, development that they got to do, including, believe it or not, Tim, they have to develop their own engines, which was um, they, they have a company that's doing that for them, but unfortunately the company that 
I won't mention, um, back, backed out of uh, development with them because uh, they actually have an aircraft right now called an XB-1, and you could Google that if you want. And, and that's a pretty exciting... I've got my Google machine turned on. Well, there you go. XB-1 right now is actually... Ooh, that looks nice. It is very cool. Um, one thing you'll notice is that there's not a lot of view for the pilot. Um, so they're using some pretty cool technologies to do that. So this this XB-1, this, this demonstrator of the technology is actually doing taxi testing right now. Um, if, so if you go on to Boom Supersonic and then you, t uh, you click on XB-1, you can see there's a super cool profile picture of it. And you can see it taxiing around there. And I believe they use uh, special cameras to um, help the pilot see. <laughs> and to help a pilot see more clearly when buying a plane, here's an airplane buying tip from McGill Aviation. Ryan McGill here with McGill Aviation, and this is your, if you're buying a plane, tip of the week. This week, let's talk about damage history and what that means in 2023. And unfortunately, it is not the same as it was 2020 and prior. A plane with damage history, you would expect a significant price reduction. In 2023, not so much the case. It is still a seller's market. To have the expectation of a significant price reduction in today's world is unrealistic. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at McGill Aviation. I did want to mention that in our coming episode, we're going to be talking about something that we haven't really talked about before, and that's going to be international procedures. And that has to do with when you leave the coast of North America or any other uh, coast, you're going into almost a no man's land. And that no man's land is a completely uh, different. Radar free. It's radar free. But what I'm trying to get at, Tim, is that it has its own rules and regulations. Yes. And those own rules and regulations come from ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization. And that dates way, way back to the Chicago Convention. And I, I'd have to look at when that was, but that was a long, long time ago. But we still follow those rules. And in the coming episodes, we're going to talk about well, if we're not in North America, we're not in Canada, we're not in the U.S., and we're flying, say, between, let's just say, Vancouver and Hawaii, once we leave that um, area that, uh, you know, is technically owned by Canada or the United States, we are in that civil aviation organization's domain, and we have to fly to those r rules and regulations. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we'd love to hear um, if you have any questions that, that you would like answered to do with international operations and the type of training that is required as a corporate pilot. If you want to do international flying, you don't just jump in the flight deck. you got to do a bunch of training. And uh, it's very, very important that you do that because unfortunately yeah. there's been some really bad stories about uh, people that decided not to do the right thing and uh well it didn't work out too wrong you're talking more so than gross navigation errors oh yeah more than that unfortunately okay. so gross navigation errors is something that we definitely don't want to do and we have to do this training and uh i've done multiple multiple courses that with different companies and we have to do recurrent training on it and uh, it's and I'm actually cool. doing a recurrent right now. I've actually, I have until the end of the month, but I'm halfway through it. 
Yeah, I'm, so, I'm working on one right now. There's a lot of stuff. So a bit, in a nutshell, if you're going to fly an airplane into another country, let's just use South America, for example. So you're, you're going to fly a corporate jet from Houston, Texas, and you're going to fly down to Panama, for example. When you fly into Panamanian airspace, Tim, you have to know what the rules and the regulations are for that airspace. Mm-hmm. And they could be radically different from the country that you're coming from. And then even though it's radically different, it is still on the pilot in command to know what those differences are. Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah. real quick, uh, while we're talking about this, you flew to the United States in the last week and I flew to Canada in the last week. Yes. Let's talk quickly about the customs process. When you notify the United States customs that you're coming here, how do you, how is that done? Electronically, um, basically there's something called EAPIS, E-A-P-I-S. So it's Which basically electronic Sorry. advanced pass is it it stands for electronic advanced passenger information service there you go and the way i understand it tim is that because you're sending all this information ahead of time um all of those passengers and the crew can be vetted and so the process happens electronically initially i'm sure someone's looking at it somehow Yep. And it turns into a pretty amazing, seamless process. The next thing that we have to do is we have to get something called landing rights. And that's something when I'm looking at my flight planning information, um, I, I want to verify that I have an actual officer and a badge number that someone has spoken to, or I actually have uh, an email with the credentials and that kind of thing. Once I have that information, um, before we get on the, you know, uh, you know, into the air, we make sure everybody's passports are with them, that they match all of our documentation. And if somebody forgets a passport, you have to turn around. We do. You got to have it. Yeah. You have to have 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 it. And not to cut you short, but we're running short on time. So when you went to the United States, you file the EAPIS. Ask me how I did it when I went to Canada last week. So when you were going to go uh, into uh, Montreal, how did you do that process? I had to call somebody on the telephone, talk to a human being, and read everything off. My oh. information, the FO's information, passenger information, had to tell me FBO we were going to at the airport. Everything was over the phone, but you can fax, fax the information. Yes, you can fax the information. Like we're, we're talking time. like a... Fax machine here? Yes. Fax the money oh. machine. Yeah. Okay. You can fa- you can send the information ahead of time via fax, but you still have to pick up a telephone and call and verify all the information. Yeah, I'm just being a little, you know, kitty with you, but the yeah, thing is- You know exactly I, how it works. <laughs> I definitely do because we fly into each other's countries on a regular basis. And unfortunately, um, the way my country operates- it is all done vo- by voice. We actually send a fax into uh, into customs, and it's we. I've I have personally waited well over an hour on hold. Yeah, I did forty five minutes. Forty five yeah, minutes with Dan Pass. 
it's and that's not one thing to no, and that's one thing to point out. If anybody listening is a pilot and they're planning on doing an international trip or just they're flying to Canada, in Canada, the PIC has to call CanPass. You can have uh, handlers, uh, flight planning companies like Universal, and there's some other ones. They can do your flight planes and stuff for you. They will not call CanPass. That has to be done by the PIC. And yes. if you don't call them, you can get in trouble. Yes. Exactly. But there's other countries you can fly to the United States. You could have a dispa- international dispatcher at your company or wherever, a handler. They, as far as I know, they can do the EAPIS, do all that for you. You don't have to do anything. But Canada is one that you, PIC has to do it. And just a friendly reminder, just, you know, anybody who's planning to come to Canada, um, it is legal in Canada to um, use marijuana and that kind of thing. But uh, you cannot bring it over the border. Yes. Um, and that will get you in a lot of trouble. And when you call CanPass, which I think it's one eight 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 canpass that is in the recorded message about the, the marijuana being legal in both countries, but you can't bring it from one to the other. And it doesn't matter if you, it is something that you're uh, using as like a medicinal cream or something medicinal it doesn't matter it you were going to be in a huge amount of hot water if you were to arrive with it so please don't do that Um, right so yeah yeah. we should end on that high yes see what i did there (laughs) (laughs) well done captain tim (laughs) we want to thank everybody for listening rob and i's schedules are extremely insane right now we normally record these podcasts during the day when uh, when it's much quieter in my house, but everybody's here. It's in the evening. It's actually 8.45 uh, in the evening right now. And we, we found a way to magically squeeze this in to record this podcast. We're trying very hard to stay on the, the every two-week schedule. We really are. Um, we are looking out into the, the future, and we do see some some conflicts coming up here so please be meeting in the next two weeks yeah please be patient and uh, we definitely want to get you know timely podcasts out to you Uh, again as i've mentioned before we really 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 want to hear from you so like we said before please reach out to to uh to tim and i um the best way right now is probably a discord Uh, discord has a section in there that you just go to type in your suggestion and we'll have it right away. Um, other ways you can use send a uh, message on SpeedPipe and um, SpeakPipe, there we go, um, or good old fashioned email. Right. And the email address is the corporate pilot guys podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And we do have a, we keep a list of topics that we want to cover. And I've been working on that list. I think you've been working on it as well. And we probably have about 20 items on that list. And we normally do about two topics per episode. Right. So there is plenty to go, like Rob said. If there's ever a time where we're really busy, there's gonna there's gonna come times where we just we just can't get a podcast done inside of two weeks because even with the editing, it, it takes a lot of time. So we're gonna do our best, but there will be times when we can't so just stick with us wonderful from vancouver british columbia canada wishing everyone a 
beautiful weekend and we'll talk to you very, very soon. All right. And thank you everybody for listening. Take care.